we considered two of really four questions we're going to consider over the next three weeks. Um, the first question we considered last week was, what is discipling? And the second question we considered was, why should I be discipling? Uh, we considered that the invitation to follow Jesus is evangelism. So we got clear what evangelism is and isn't. Um, so the invitation to follow Jesus is evangelism. Uh, your following Jesus is discipleship. So discipleship is, is your following Jesus. And you're modeling then for others how to follow Jesus? Well, that's discipling. In short, discipling, which is really sort of where we've been thinking, discipling is your deliberate helping of others to follow Jesus in their life. So discipleship isn't you helping others follow Jesus, but rather a subset of you following Jesus. Discipling is a subset of you following Jesus. Uh, we then considered really three reasons why we should be discipling. Uh, from the text, we saw that we should be about discipling because Jesus is sovereign over the nations. Uh, that Jesus has all authority over the nations. Uh, we also make disciples because we want to lovingly obey Jesus. So uh, he's given us a command and we want to follow that command. We want Because we love Jesus, right? Uh, obedience to Jesus isn't out of some mere rule following, but rather out of love for him. We want to make disciples. And then we consider that third reason. Uh, we make disciples by depending on Jesus' abiding presence among his people. We have the confidence to go to the nations. Well, because Jesus Christ has promised he'll be with us as we go. As we make disciples, we have the assurance that the spirit of God is with us. The authority and presence of Jesus then provides really the foundational basis uh, for our disciple-making among the nations. Right? So that's what we considered last week. And this week, we want to consider a third question. Really, where should we make disciples? Well, what's the context that disciple-making should be in? Well, where do we do that? And then thinking a little bit more intentionally next week about Really, how do we do that? What does that look like? What are, what are some tangible things that we can begin to do in our lives as God's people? I'm going to begin this morning by reading our text. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Grab that pew Bible in front of you. Open to page 835, and there you'll find our text at the bottom of the page. Uh, Matthew 28 in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus here in this passage gives uh, a mission to his disciples. We considered much of the context last week, but just a little brief overview. Uh, this is just moments before Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. This is some 40 days after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is preparing uh, to leave, uh, to go back to his Father in heaven. And before leaving, before ascending to heaven, Jesus gives his disciples a mission. 
And it was going to be through these 11 men that the gospel was going to go to the nations. And they were to continue that mission. It wasn't a mission that had an expiration date so long as Jesus had yet returned. That is, they were to continue to do that mission until Jesus Christ returned. And so it's a mission that has passed on from them to us. For 2,000 years, the church has been about this particular mission, about carrying out the commission to make disciples among the nations. So this morning, we want to consider the third question. We see it right in the middle of our text this morning of where are we to make disciples? Where is this disciple making to take place? What, what is the context where we are to do this? Well, in short, we see the answer in verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It is among the nations that we are to make disciples. But among the nations through the local church. We are going to see this morning that it is the primacy of the local church. The church, this local gathering, is the vehicle by which the message gets to the nations. So it's not through individuals. It's not sort of an individual task. It's not through parachurch organizations. Um, organizations that are separate from the local church. But rather, it is in and through the local body of believers that the message goes to the, to the nation. So we make disciples among every tribe, tongue, and nations through local churches. Through this local church and every other pre gospel preaching local church scattered across the globe. We don't even think about that it's just our task individually, but rather corporately. So as we think about our answer this morning, that it's among the nations, we really just have two parts, uh, two points, two, uh, really two parts to the answer. The first part is that we are to take the gospel to the nations. So sort of point one, we're going to think about that we are to take the gospel to the nations. And then second part of our answer is that we are to take the gospel to the nations. Hopefully we understand that. And then understand that it's through the, the vehicle of the local church that that happens. So it's through the local church that the gospel goes to the nations. So let's think about what does Jesus mean that we are to make disciples of all nations? Perhaps you're thinking this morning, you know, I've never been outside of the United States. How, how is it that, that I can go make disciples of all nations? How, how is it that, that I can go to people whom I don't know, whom I don't share a common land? How am I to do that? Clearly this morning, we, as we consider the task, it seems really a task that cannot be done. A task that's difficult, a task that's hard. So what does Jesus mean by all nations? Well, I think simply Jesus means that we are to make disciples among the nations by serving the nations. That is, we are to serve the world. When we think about that word nation, we often think about a, uh, a, a political system, right? The, the nation of the United States, right? Or the nation of England, or the nation of Germany, or the nation of Russia, right? We think of geopolitical in, in sort of geo, but that's not what Jesus means here when he uses the word nations here. This is that word ta ethne, the ethnic groups. That is, the every. this is a body of, of kinship or culture or common tradition. It's what we call people groups, people that have a distinct culture, a distinct language. 
And among the world today, there are over 11,000 individual people groups. Individual nations, as Jesus has in his mind. Right? So in the United States of America, we have, very, we have many nations represented here. Right? In the history of the church, uh, we, we have no excuse for not taking the gospel to the nations. In our own backyard, in our own congregation, we have na- uh, various languages represented throughout the day as they gather together. Korean-speaking people groups and, and Burmese people groups coming and worshiping. The nations, in many ways, have come to the states uh, here in America so 11,000 people groups spread throughout out the world. Now think for a minute, 11,000 people groups. And of those, 6,000 of them have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 6,000 people groups have not yet been reached with the gospel. That is, they, they perhaps don't have a, a Bible in their translation. Uh, they don't, uh, in, their, in their language. They don't have a Bible in their Language, Or perhaps there's no disciple among them. That is, there's no Christian in that tribe. So many, many of these 6,000 don't, don't just think like, wow, 6,000 made up of billions of people. No, some of these may be handfuls of people in remote tribes in, in the mountains in Southeast Asia who have no access to the gospel, who have never had a missionary or another disciple go and share the gospel. And so therefore, those are the ones that we are going after as a congregation. Those are the ones that we are going to to make disciples. Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples where my name has not yet been made known. We considered that quote by Piper last week that missions exist because worship does not, right? We go to the nations, we go to people groups that do not worship Jesus so that they might worship Jesus. That's our mission, that's our task, that's what we've been called to do. And across these 6,000 people groups, they are entrapped. We might think, like, well, what is our business to come in and bother them? They seem to be doing well. Oh, friends, they are entangled in cultic worship. They are entangled in, in idolatry. And without hope. Without hope. And so we take the gospel to the nations that the glory of God might be made among them. The, the purpose in our mission isn't to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for Jesus. Our goal in missions isn't to grow our tribe. Uh, so if you're visiting with, we're a Southern Baptist church. What, what just basically means is that we cooperate for the sake of missions, right? So, so we, you know, no one tells us how to do things. We're autonomous. We're an, we're an independent church. But yet we voluntarily cooperate in, in, in missions together with 16,000 other Baptist churches across North America to take the gospel to the nations. That's our goal. We think it's better to do missions together than apart. And so we amass over 4,000 missionaries to go to the nations. But our purpose in that mission is to make God's glory made. God's glory Known among the nations. Friends, this is why we exist as a church. We exist as a church to make the glory of God known. Not to make our name known. I would rather people not know our name, but know the name of Christ Jesus. Our aim then is to not make a name for us, but to make a name for Jesus. That he might be worshipped. And so, may God give us uh, 
the skill. May God equip us to make disciples and multiply churches. You see, we are committed and we believe the best way to spread the gospel is by planting churches. And so what we are about is starting new churches. Because we are committed to the biblical understanding, the biblical model that it's through the church that disciples are made. And so what we want to see is disciples made and churches planted and and disciples made through churches. Friends, we understand that as a congregation, our goal isn't just to come and sit in pews, but rather to go to the nations. Perhaps that's been your attitude towards church. You find a church, you know, that perfect church that doesn't exist, and you come to it and you sit in it and you think that's it. Friends, if your goal is to stay in this church, you're going to be sadly disappointed. My hope is that you will go. My hope for this congregation is that we will multiply churches by sending people out. That we will raise up and develop disciples. We'll develop faithful followers of Jesus and we will send them out to neighborhoods throughout Catonsville and throughout Baltimore County and throughout Maryland and the United States and throughout the world. We gather to scatter here in this congregation, not to just sit Our hope is to go to the nations. And friend, if that is not your attitude towards church, then you have been severely confused about what it means to make disciples. So where are we to make disciples? We are to do it among the nations. That that is our goal. That is our heart. That is our focus. And so my prayer for you this morning, if you have no heart for the nations, If you care only about this geopolitical world you live in, I struggle to know whether you're faithfully following Jesus. A follower of Jesus has a heart to see those who have never heard the name of Jesus know that name. Does your heart burn for those little boys and little girls, for those men and women in tribes scattered across this globe that have never had the opportunity to repent of their sins and trust in Christ? Does your heart burn this morning to know that there are 6,000 people groups who have never heard about Jesus? Does that compel you to want to go? Friend, it compels me to want to go. It compels me to want to continue to preach the glories of Christ Jesus until you want to go, until your heart burns within you. And so just know, I'm praying that for you. That's my prayer for you. Whether you want it or not, my prayer is that your heart would break for the gospel of Jesus Christ among the nations. My prayer is that you would maybe perhaps miss a few of your precious nights of sleep and weep as you consider tens of thousands and millions of people who are dying today having never heard of Jesus. I pray that would stir you not spare but to obedience you would make the gospel known among the nations but we don't do that individually it's not some task that some mantle that we carry individually but rather it is a task that we carry corporately it's not an individual task but rather a task that that is to be accomplished corporately jesus here if you look at the text he is speaking not to just peter 
not to just Matthew, not to the other disciples, but he is speaking to the corporate body of Christ. At that particular time, there's 11 of them. And of course, some others. But, but he is giving that sort of message to the church. That He is preaching that message to the church. He's not preaching it to just Peter. But to the 11. And so the, the gospel going to the nations is a, is a corporate activity. Whereby we together take the gospel to the nations. And we want to consider three aspects of that by looking at how the disciples obeyed this commission. We want to think, think of three aspects of discipleship through the local body, through the local church. Now, just to be clear, I want to, I want to get my language right, because I think some people get confused when I use the word local church. What do we mean by local church? Well, earlier in the Apostles' Creed, we talked about the holy universal church. Uh, what that means is that God has called a people unto himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation, uh, and that is the universal church. So this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, you're a part of the universal church. And if you are a member, a covenant member in this congregation, well, you're a member of this local church. So you might be visiting with us this morning. Maybe you'd be a member of another local church. It may be right down the street, right? So local doesn't mean that there's only one church in Catonsville, okay? Uh, to be clear, uh, we regularly pray for three other churches in our community who we know are faithfully preaching the gospel right now as we speak. And so we pray for them because we believe they are gospel-preaching churches. And to be clear, there are untrue churches. That are churches that are not true to the gospel of Jesus Christ with true people in it. That is, that are true disciples of Jesus. They're just really a, a, a poor and unhealthy church because the gospel is not preached. So just to be clear, a local church is like this. And there are local churches scattered all over the globe. And so three aspects where discipleship is made through the local church. And the primary one, the first one, the sort of primacy of discipleship is through the corporate worship service. Through what we're doing right now. Through the corporate body of Christ, we gather together. Now why would I be so bold to say that discipleship only primarily happens through the corporate gathering? It's because I'm a pastor and you know I'm like paid to say that? Well, no, it's because the Bible exhorts us to do that. In Hebrews 10.45, uh, the author of in Hebrews 10.25, excuse me, the author of Hebrews writes, Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. In a moment, we're going to consider in the book of Acts that the disciples didn't go out to the nations individually, but corporately through churches. They got together and they met together regularly with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we gather together, there are really particular parts of our service that are meant to disciple you. The singing. Friends, what we sing matters. I pick every hymn we sing every Sunday. And the reason is, is because I am, as your pastor, discipling you. I am teaching you. I am trying to edify and encourage you. I'm trying to help you to think about what we're going to consider in God's word. So when we're exerted to make disciples among the nations, when we sing, lift high the name of Jesus, that is meant to think like, hey, that's what we're to do. Uh, not only are we singing to God, but we're singing to one another. Oh, how encouraging it is each week as we gather. And I see maybe a saint who's struggling. I know physically or emotionally or spiritually, uh, they're having a, a very difficult time. And they're singing boldly, it is well with my soul. That's an encouragement. 
That's an encouragement. I hope those words are an encouragement to them as they sing. Friends, we don't sing some arbitrary or random words. We're singing intentional songs for an intentional purpose to edify and build up. I just wonder, do you give yourselves to singing? I don't know. I know many times we sing songs that maybe you've never heard before. That's why we sing them week in and week out. That's why we don't just sing them once and while we're singing two of the same songs we sang last week. Right? Because we want you to be not only edified, but also to incorporate those words in your life. So on Monday morning, when you're ready to just already throw in the towel on Monday morning, and you remember the words that your mission this week is to lift high the name of Jesus. You're humming that tune. Lift high the name. I'm going to lift high the name of Jesus today when I don't want to really do anything. Um, You're encouraged by that. Not only that, but we pray. We pray a lot. Because our prayers are meant to inform your prayer life. Uh, We're intentional in what we say in prayer because we want our words to become your words in your own prayer time. Look at the way we structure our services. All of that is to help you edify in your own life. And then, obviously, the regular preaching of God's word. Friends, that is the means that God has given to build the church. Now, you might think, like, hey, you know, that preacher up there, he's boring, and I don't really want to listen to him. Friends, the reality is that may be true, but my hope is not to show you me, but to show you the the God of the Bible. And so we are committed to expositional preaching. What that means is that we make the point of the passage, the point of the sermon, and apply it to our lives. That's what expositional preaching. We're not up here, you know, trying to do topics and cool, you know, how-to stuff. But rather, we just want to show you this is what God has said is good for your life. And this is how to implement in your life. The the Bible is clear. It is through the regular preaching of the the gospel that lives are are transformed. Paul tells us in Romans 10, it's that faith comes by hearing, the hearing the word of Christ. If you're struggling in faith today, this is where you need to be. If you feel like you're ready to, to quit, this is what you need to hear. Maybe not these particular words, but, but faith comes by hearing the words of Christ. Two other elements of our service that we do regularly is the Lord's Supper, where we see the unity of the gospel in diversity. Where we see people who, who shouldn't be hanging out together get together and share a meal together and remember the Lord's sacrifice for their sins. We see the gospel displayed, and in baptism, we see the hope of the gospel displayed. That is that there is new life in Christ. That the old has passed away and behold the new has come. That where it feels like we're ready to die, there is the hope that there is new life to come. Did you ever consider why preachers preach on church attendance so much? (laughs) Is it because we're obsessed with numbers? Or perhaps some preachers are? The reason why I'm so committed to drilling into your mind that local, that gathering with a local body, I I mean, it could be this body or another faithful preaching. I'm not committed to only this body, but you need to gather regularly. I'm going to step on a toe here, and you're just going to get offended, and that's fine. Um, Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to attend Sunday school. Let me say that again, just in case you missed it. There is zero... Bible verse, and if you can find it and quote it to me, I will fall over dead. There isn't one that says, thou shall attend Sunday school. Sunday school is only about 100 years old, and in Southern Baptist life, it's less than 50 years old. So what did all those Christians do for thousands of years before Sunday school? 
where they committed themselves to the regular gathering of God's people. And friend, I just want to pop your bubble if you think that just coming to Sunday school is going to church. It's not. Gathering with these people right here, that's going, that's, that's going to church. Because you have been commanded in the Bible to do this. This is what you've been commanded to do. Now, that's not to say Sunday school's not good. I love Sunday school. Sunday school's a great tool, but it's no more than a tool. No more than the tool. So we want to commit ourselves to gathering with God's people because it's here that disciples are made to go to the nations. It's here where we are built up. It's only as we gather together as a corporate body of Christ, as I see brothers and sisters worshiping, that I am encouraged to continue to follow Christ that the word of God builds through his spirit. A second aspect of discipleship through the local church is personal relationships. Through one-on-one intimate relationships. Look, when we consider the Bible, when we consider uh, what we just heard in Hebrews 10.25, the goal of coming together is so that we might encourage one another. That's why we gather, so that we can lift one another up, that we can encourage one another to faithfulness. And so we want to develop relationships that are not only wide, that is, relationships with people that are different than us. Right? So I'm just hanging out with people that are like me, you know, 33-year-olds. You know, like, there's only, like, me. So and there's not many 33-year-olds in our congregation, right? Uh, and so, you know, I want, to, I want to find people that are different than me. I want to reach out to people that, you know, are different socioeconomic, different backgrounds. I want to go wide in my relationships, but I want to go deep in my relationships beyond, you know, how's the weather and what's your favorite sports team doing. But I want to know some really, I want to develop relationships so I can lean into hard questions. How are you doing loving your spouse? How are you doing with those little rascal children or grandchildren of yours? Are you ready to, to ship them off? How are you doing at work? Was there any temptations in your life? Is there any struggles that you have in your heart or life that, that I need to pray and encourage you with? What's going on in your life? You see, our relationships on Sunday morning have to go deeper than those things because if not, all we're doing is putting on a, uh, an outfit. We're, we're, not, we're just putting on a facade. But we need to be willing to be open and vulnerable with one another. We need to develop the kind of relationships that we can ask hard questions. And quickly, a third aspect of discipleship through the local church is practical ministry. That is where we serve one another all throughout the Bible, in particular there in Hebrews 10.25. We are to serve one another. Our goal to gather is not to be consumers, but to be producers. And we want to understand, I don't know why Baptists, like, I don't know, we just forget to read our, like, Baptists are committed to the Bible as, like, the inerrant word of God. You know, it's inspired, it's authoritative. But, like, there's parts of it we just, like, pull out and, like, ah, it's not authoritative. And one is Ephesians 4.12. That God has given the, the, the teachers, the pastors, the elders of the local church to equip the saints for the work of ministry for, for the building of the body of Christ. But why is it that the pastor does everything? Why is it that we see pastors running around with their heads cut off doing the ministry when it's rather the saints that are to be doing the ministry? What an unhealthy model of ministry. And so perhaps you think that you know pastors are the ones that are supposed to be doing ministry. Friends, I love going to the hospital and being beaten by other members there. I love going to the hospital and hear like, you know, like 12 people have already been there before I've been there. Praise God. That's not because I've been unfaithful or lazy or like sleeping in my office. That's because we have people that are committed to following Jesus and they don't need to be their hands held to go follow Jesus. So we equip the saints, pastors equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so uh, 
perhaps this morning, one of the ways you can serve the body is by teaching children. You know, you can go serve in children's ministry. You know, there you'll get a real heart, right, for parents that have to deal with those kids up there, right, on a daily basis, right? Uh, you know, go, you know, go, go change some dirty diapers. S- serve as a greeter, right? Put your smiling face on. Uh, lead a small group or Sunday school. Clean the sanctuary. Uh, visit the widows and the sick. Serve the body of Christ. Don't just come and sit on your rear end and expect people to serve you. As we think about these things, I think these things are, are right because it's really modeled in the, in, in the book of Acts. We see clearly that the, the first church, this is how the disciples obeyed that. This is how the disciples did that. And I just want to look at a few passages with you this morning as we consider this uh, in our remaining time. Uh, if you will, turn with me just a few pages to Acts chapter 1. Um, when I say a few, I mean maybe a hundred. Page 908, 909. Luke here has a companion to what, Mark, what Matthew gives us in Matthew 28. Luke here, the doctor himself, gives us this as perhaps an eyewitness to this account. If you look at Acts 1.8, Jesus is there on the hillside, uh, same context of the verse we were just considering in Matthew 28. He's there uh, preparing to ascend to heaven. And he tells his disciples in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit empowers you to be my witnesses among the nations. And what we see there is how it's going to happen, right? It's going to start, Lord, at ground uh, central there, you know, ground zero in Jerusalem. And it's going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and then from Judea to Samaria and then from Samaria to the ends of the earth. But it's going to start there and it's going to explode Let's consider for a moment, these handful of people were told in the verses to follow, 120 folks, 120, 120 people gathered together, and those 120 people, by the power of the Spirit, transform human history forever. Completely change the nation of Rome, completely changes the entire countryside. 120 people empowered by the Spirit of God. Friends, we have less than that here today, but the same Spirit in us. As we continue to move throughout that, we see in chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes. That Holy Spirit that was promised there in 1.8 actually comes. And I want you to see something. As that Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of God falls upon those 120 gathered there, look with me in chapter 2 and verse 5. You're going to see the Great Commission beginning to be fulfilled here. Just beginning to be worked out. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. (laughs) They were there uh, for Pentecost Sunday, which happens to be today. Uh, They were there uh, on Pentecost Sunday, gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost. And there on that day, these men from every nation under heaven come and gather. And the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them, that is the disciples, speak in their own language. They were speaking in tongues, that is, they were speaking in different languages. 
And they were amazed and astonished, just like we sang earlier. I'm amazed at the, how marvelous, right? The work of, of God in our lives. And are not all these men Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language, Parthian and Mede and Elamites and, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Iurga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from both, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. The gospel began to go among the nations through the local church gathered there in Jerusalem as they were preaching the gospel faithfully and gathering together as God's people. As we continue through the book of Acts, we just see that it was the gathering of the church then it was scattered throughout the week. They gathered together to have fellowship. In chapter 2 and verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that? It was this right here. What we have before us, the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, all pro distributing the proceeds to all as any have need. I want to just pause there for a moment. I want you to consider the reason why we have hospitals scattered across the globe is because of Christians who went and saw their resources go to help those in need. Continuing on verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, it was through those churches that, that, that were being planted there in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and throughout Samaria and to the ends of the earth that the gospel was spreading. So we don't see the, we see the 11 lost, don't we? We don't see, you know, Peter preached an awesome sermon. He did. People heard and believed. But the disciples were making disciples. As we continue through the book of Acts, we're just going to fast forward a little bit for time's sake. If you go to Acts 13, uh, in the middle half of Acts, the book transitions from Peter to, to Paul. Peter is sort of pastoring there locally. Uh, in Jerusalem and, and in the region, and then Paul is sort of sent out among the Gentiles. And we don't have time to really think about what that particularly means and what the, the, the disagreement was. But I want you to look in chapter 13 in verse 44, just as an example. The next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered here, the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary for the word of God be spoken first to you, that is the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, it was through local churches that Paul was planting that the gospel was continuing to flourish, like little outposts along the journey. He would create an outpost and then launch out from that outpost. Start a local church and then launch out from that local church. Start another local church and then launch out from that local church. And where we see that is in, if you just turn your eyes to, to the next page, chapter 14. 
chapter 14 and verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went to Barnabas to, uh, to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, notice, what were they doing? Were they just evangelizing? No. They weren't just having crusades. They were making disciples. Right? They were preaching the gospel and making many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Antioch. Notice what they were doing. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to see something. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, it was through churches that disciples were being... It was through those elders that were going to gather together the saints on Sundays and preach the gospel to them where, the gospel, where disciples were going to then be made. Friends, this little journey is, is just to show you that it was through the church... That discipleship was made. And so what does this mean for us? Individually, corporately? It means that we must be committed to this means of grace that God has given us. You have to be convinced of this in your own mind from the scripture. That it is through the local church, through the regular gathering, right here on Sunday mornings, every week, week in and week out. That doesn't mean you can't take a vacation. That doesn't mean you know, you're, you're sinning if you have to miss for some extenuating emergency. But rather, you want to give yourselves, not to, not to Charles Stanley on Sunday mornings you know, through the TV, but through the, through, the, through the mediocre preaching that you get from me on a weekly basis. Because that is how God has said he will build the church. I mean, you might want to watch Charles Stanley before, but, but, but you, I hope you are convinced. And convinced of this very fact also. That a disciple of Jesus Christ makes disciples. And if you are not making disciples, at worst, you're not a disciple. At best, you're just being unfaithful. At worst... Well, you're not even a disciple of Jesus. At best, you're being unfaithful to him. Friends, our task is unfinished. Our task remains the same, to make disciples among the nations, to carry that message to the nations. And so I wonder, what is your attitude toward the nations? Does your heart cringe at other people groups? At other religions? Do you cower in fear at other people? Or are, do you see those people created in the image of God without the hope of Christ and your heart is broken for them? Do you gather to submit yourself to the regular preaching of God's word as the means to build yourself that you might make disciples? Do you submit to leadership as they disciple you? Are you willing to submit as as we lead you and shepherd you? Are you committed to developing personal relationships, you know, letting the guard down a bit in your heart and allowing others to help you follow Jesus? Look, if you are not following Jesus faithfully this morning, the best thing for you to do is not to try to figure it out on your own. That is like, okay, I'm going to get my life right with Jesus. 
No. The best thing for you to do is to go to a faithful follower of Jesus to say, will you help me follow Jesus? Because that's the biblical model. Our task is to help others, deliberately doing them good by helping them follow Jesus. Friends, in light of this massive need, in light of the fact that the nations need the gospel, is why we are committed to seeing this church flourish under the preaching of the gospel. That we might raise up a generation to send to the nations. That we ourselves might go to the nations. But it begins by a commitment to make disciples here and to multiply disciples among our neighborhoods. And so pray that God would give you a heart broken for your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. For those children running up and down your street, that your heart would break because you know they, if they were to die today, they were without hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to finish with one text of Scripture. You don't need to turn there. I pray that your ears will be open to it. Jesus Christ gave that commission to make the gospel go among the nations. He gave them the task. And John was there that day. John heard that message. He heard the task to go to the nations. And John was faithful to that task. We know that John was an elder at the church in Ephesus, which is a Greek city. We know that John went to the nations, took the gospel there, regularly preached the gospel. But John also got to see it completed. John got to see the task finished. And in Revelation 5, John sees a great vision of the future. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming within the voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why was John weeping? Because John knew if that scroll was not open, there was no salvation for anyone. Everyone was gone. He's weeping because he knows there's billions of people that are going to die in the judgment day. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne, the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he'd been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes and with seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Hear the song they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, number, hear them, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, every creature, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and power and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. John saw the completion of that task. We go to the nations because we know that that task will be we know that Jesus will be made known among the nations. We go with the confidence to know that it is already finished. So we go eagerly to the nations. The future is finished. There will be, alongside you, standing a person from a tribe you've never known, a people group that you've never heard of, proclaiming the glories of Christ Jesus. Will you go and share that message? Will you make disciples? through the local church, that we might send them to the nations. And may God give us strength in that task for his glory and our good.